Welcome back to your warden's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Education Manager with the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. Today, we're going to be talking to the woman who sent me and at least 40 of my Kansas City Symphony colleagues to prison, Lee Lynch. She runs an incredible program at Lansing Correctional Facility called Arts in Prison. And this private nonprofit is dedicated to the idea that the arts can help inmates deal with the stress of prison and prepare them to be more peaceful and productive members of free society when they are released. That's right. This is a program we became connected to uh, at the symphony oh, going on about five years ago uh, through a wonderful uh, patron of the symphony, Tom Smead. And he was a diehard fan of the symphony. He would come to every concert practically, uh, often with his daughter and other family members and friends. And he and I got to know each other. And one day he just asked me, you know, could we could we have musicians come to the prison? He was very passionate about uh, his volunteer work uh, in prisons throughout his life. And I said, uh, oh, well, sure, we can probably figure that out. And um, as they say, the rest is history. I'm not even sure how many programs now we've played uh at Lansing Prison, and we also played uh, one in Leavenworth a couple years ago. But it's been an incredible experience for the musicians in the symphony who have been there. It's incredible for the inmates uh, to be able to come up and talk to us and listen to music. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk much, much more about it as we uh, get into this conversation with Lee. But in addition to music, this program provides theater for inmates, visual arts, uh, all all kinds of amazing experiences, and these gentlemen are are um, incredibly passionate about the work that they do through this program, and uh, incredibly inspired by it. So it's been one of the most um, wonderful and eye opening and enriching parts of my work in my career. You know, one of the wonderful things about what the symphony is is doing here with arts in prison and has done in the past is. It's really just an extension of the the amazing community connections program that already exists in the orchestra. And really that just our musicians go out into the community all over the community and perform for people who wouldn't have the opportunity to come hear us. And I think this project in particular is exactly that. Um, you know, there, there is no opportunity to come and hear us, but that doesn't mean that what we have to offer is any less valuable um, to to those people. In fact, I, I would argue that it's more valuable. Um, and I think, you know, this program that, that, we, that we do, and we're doing an awful lot of now where we're out in the community and doing programs uh, throughout everywhere in Kansas City, um, is really just at the heart of the mission here at the Kansas City Symphony. That's absolutely true. And um, so without further ado, it's truly a pleasure and an honor to welcome to the podcast, Lee Lynch from Arts in Prison. Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. Michael, thank you very much for having us. We are super excited. So uh, talk a little bit uh, at first about, you know, what's happening with Arts in Prison right now. So uh, obviously... Um, 
you know, with COVID, uh, people aren't able to visit the prison or, you know, volunteers aren't able to enter, I assume, as they normally would. Uh, there's been some unrest at Lansing, unfortunately. Uh, so, so talk about what's been going on and what you're continuing to do to help these inmates. Um, well, you're, you're right. Things are not normal out at the prison at all. Um, the COVID numbers are continuing to climb in Kansas Department of Corrections facilities. And they are using um, the new buildings that they put up at Lansing as COVID units because they're more modern. They have more efficient air handlers. So we've got people coming in and out of the prison on a fairly routine basis. But we are not allowed to go in. In the middle of March, we were told that all volunteer programs were being stopped immediately. And that was it. We haven't been back um, since, I think, March 13th. Wow. We continue to try to find new ways to bring program in, send program into the facility so that the men are st- men and women at Topeka Correctional Facility also are still getting that opportunity to practice art, to use it as a means of sustaining mental health, of focusing on something positive, on creating things that they can share with their families and their community um, over behind the walls. We are sending in as much as we can in the way of supplies. If you were already taking the crocheting class and we can find a way to get yarn into the prison so you can continue to crochet. Um, We are partnering with Kiosk Gallery in Kansas City to um, have the visual artists inside the prison participate in their male art project. Um, And some of our programs we're bringing outside, our drama program, our playwriting and acting program that did um, our first ever dinner theater last year, will be meeting with released individuals on the outside and continuing to do their playwriting and their acting and monologuing and all the things they were practicing inside. The woman who leads that class said that she felt really like that moment when you're released from prison is probably the trickiest and the most stressful mm-hmm. of your entire incarceration experience. And it seemed like that was the time that they needed an opportunity to come together, to focus on an artistic endeavor, to feel good about what they were accomplishing more than ever. So we're going to be taking that program outside and doing it in the community with returning citizens. And um, that way we'll be able to still put on shows um, out here in the community um, and help spread our message even further. So we're trying to be as creative as we can in how we're able to meet our mission in spite of all of our 2020 obstacles. Lee, that is, it's such incredible work. And I want to get into all of the different things that, that you all offer to the inmates. Um, but I wonder, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started um, doing this kind of work and what led you to, to start there? Um, the organization was started in the early 90s by Elvira Voth. Um, she had um, graduated from um, Northwestern University with a degree in choral music and conducting. And, of course, in the um, late 50s, early 60s, nobody was really interested in a female conductor. So she packed her bags and went to Alaska and got there right about the time they discovered gold and oil. So um, she was able to start some choruses and some programs um, in Alaska, in Anchorage. She started the choral music program at the community college. 
the Alaska Boys Choir, um, men's choirs mostly did a lot of, um, she hosted a summer festival there where um, they would bring um, choirs across the strait from Russia and um, participate in that. And um, she did that for a lot of years, loved every bit of it. And when she was in her 70s, she decided maybe since she was um, up there by herself, she should come home and be close to family. And she came back to uh, her family's in Newton, but she came to Kansas City, where she was choir master for the Lyric Opera for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then she retired again and decided what she really wanted to do was bring music to people that didn't otherwise have the experience. And her um, nephew happened to be dating a girl whose uncle um, was warden at Lansing Correctional. So she Ah. suggested maybe she considered doing the choir in prison. So she went up there and the program got started. They put all the posters up to have people come to learn to sing and to do a choir. And they had a lot of um, guys who thought that this would be their opportunity to perfect their rapping skills. (laughs) And, of course, um, Elvira had a a different agenda in mind. Um, We do a lot of classical music, um, a lot of classic choral music. And they, uh, you know, that particular group didn't love singing the Beethoven, but... um, they found a group that did, and she would bring up members from the Lyric Opera to sing alongside the inmates. She was known to tap people on the shoulder at church and saying, you sounded really good today. You should come to prison with me on Tuesday. <laughs> and um, so the East Hill Singers Choir was born from that experience. And the East Hill Singers Choir is still a program of our prison of our program. It's the longest running program. Um, but of course, they're not singing right now, and they will probably be the last one to come back because uh, Kurt Carson, who is our choir director and artistic director for the choir, uh, refers to cho- uh, choral singing as a super spreader event. Mm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be a long time before we get back to that one. But that's how the program started, and the men loved the choir so much. They started asking for other programs, and we grew and grew and grew and grew. We are sometimes in the prison five nights a week doing programming when we're able to be there. Um, It cracks me up. We have five programs on Monday night in the medium unit of the prison. So our demand for space, which is hard to come by, um, is pretty intense. But we do a lot of dealing and trading. So, Lee, I've had the opportunity to come out once with Mike and some of the other musicians, and I saw the incredible impact firsthand that the arts have on inmates and, and just how uh, meaningful it is for them to partake in these experiences. Um, How would you say overall, I mean, since you get to witness this all the time and you get to see the development of people and uh, their their healing process in prison, and then as you mentioned, when when leaving prison, how important that transition is, how have how have you noticed the arts having a major impact on on some of the inmates? Well, it really, honestly, and and truly does. Um, when we did our very first drama program inside of the facility, um, it was a Shakespeare program, Living Shakespeare, and the, they were doing Macbeth, which, as we all know, is a story about a murder. And every person in that cast had been convicted of murder. Oh That's God. how they got to prison. And so, throughout the program of preparing. Um, the process of preparing for the performance, every one of the men had that moment where they just came face to face with what was happening in the script and what had happened in their lives. And they had to find a way to reconcile that. Um, And we got to watch each of them 
go through that process. And it was it was a pretty intense experience for them. But I think that they truly came to understand themselves much better through that process. Um, that's one example. A story I love to tell is one of the guys in our who has been in several of our programs when he was getting ready to come home. One of the questions that comes up as they're preparing to to leave is, well, what do you plan to do in your leisure time when you're out in the community? Because that's that's a you know it's like the, the hours are three to seven. That's the dangerous time. And he said, I am going to go to more concerts. I am going to go to more plays. I am going to go to more art events. He said, I deprived myself of that when I was on the streets because I didn't think it was for me. Mm. But because of my experiences with arts in prison, I've learned that this is something that I can and should participate in. And Tom and Kathy actually brought him to one of the symphony performances um, at Kaufman Center. I remember and that actually. It was a, yeah, a huge ex- experience, an exciting experience for him. So I think in that process, the previous warden out at the prison said that the reason he thought arts was so successful as a rehabilitative tool inside of the prison was because most people didn't have a failure experience with it. Uh-huh. It's not like saying, come take your math class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's something most of them haven't tried yet. And when they do, they really begin to grow and morph in ways that they otherwise otherwise wouldn't. And perhaps find a new voice within themselves, and a, a new way of expressing themselves and communicating. I was blown away by the, the visual artwork when we came through backstage in the art room, mm-hmm. just how extraordinary some of these paintings and um, various other uh, sculptures and various uh, works of art that these men were working on. It was pretty incredible. And their writing, their poetry, their stories... Um, all of it is is pretty amazing. It's it's important for them to have the opportunity to participate in something that's positive, um, something that helps them process whatever's happening to themselves at that point in time, helping them to understand that there's still something good inside of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so interesting, um, you know, that you that you describe uh, the experience for them that way because you know I, I've said the very same thing about how music uh, benefits children as well. I do a lot of that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something um, universally true about that experience of, of art that it's not something you can fail at. And that, you know, that gives it such a a positive uh, power, you know, for anyone, for, Mm -hmm. you know, for someone who's not experiencing the crisis of, of being in prison or not, you know, a child, just an ordinary, you know, adult walking down the street going about their lives, you know, has, has something, um, you know, has something there that you know that art can enrich for them. But uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit now about about your own career path in life that that led you to this kind of work, <laughs> because I think it's, I think it's just incredible the way you you dedicate yourself to this. And um, you know, for many people, myself included, it's it's not uh, something that you know we'd ever thought about doing, or something that we thought needed doing until we were, you know, 
um, until it was shown to us. And then it, Mm -hmm. you know, seems obvious once you see it. Uh, but it's, it's something that's, you know, hidden away from most people. So how did, how did you come to discover this kind of work and find a passion for it? Well, I I had a cousin who was doing, um, Peace Corps work inside of Rikers in the sixties and he irritated the warden and got kicked out. So I like to say I come by this honestly. Um, but uh, truthfully, I, I got a phone call from my husband while I was at work, um, on Long Island and um, he said, you know, we're, Larry's going to start a new business and we have to move to Kansas. And I said, this is the beginning of a really bad joke, right? Um, <laughs> but we came here and after taking time to, you know, set up household and settle in, I decided I needed a job to go back to work. And literally, I showed up for an interview and I sat through the interview with the executive director and I told her afterwards, this sounds like a really important program. It's something I'd write a check to, but I don't know if I could become passionate about it. And that was 13 years ago. (laughs) Um, I had been working um, in youth development, actually, uh, specifically for Girl Scouts, um, Girl Scouts of Nassau County. And I tell the guys all the time, I just basically traded in seven-year-olds for felons. <laughs> um, and and then they sometimes complain about being referred to as a Girl Scout. And I tell them if they leave prison a little bit more like a Girl Scout with a knowledge of their self, um, of, of their potential, what their values are, how to get along in the community, and how to give back to the community, then I'm a happy lady. <laughs> so um, I went to my very first call out I had to escort a volunteer in, and I had been to training, but had never even been inside of the prison that night. So made some arrangements to have somebody help us figure out where to go and went into the room, the classroom, and we were about 20 minutes early. And the men started to wander in one by one, and then they came in bigger groups. And the last guy running in the door, tucking the shirt, his shirt tail in because he'd been playing football prior to coming into the program. And it was to... Um, uh, talk about Literature Kansas program through the um, um, through the Humanities um, Council. And I heard, first of all, once they all came rushing in, I felt like, okay, this isn't any different from a school at three o'clock in the afternoon when all the girls are coming in for their Girl Scout meetings. So I can handle this. Hmm. And I heard the most intellectual, purposeful, considerate, conversation that night that I had heard in a long time. They disagreed respectively. They made their points respectively. They were passionate about what they had to say. And I, that was it. It hooked me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have met some of the most interesting and intelligent and eager to learn and wonderful people being inside of that prison. And that's what makes me stay. So I'm curious, um, how do the inmates become a um, get involved in these programs? Is it like just an open sign up? Is there like a a good behavior benefit for that? How do they come to be involved in these programs? It is an open an open um, call out. Um, uh-huh. We post 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 posters. We put up posters as programs have started and invite them to come and participate and. So you might end up with 20 guys in your first class. People are coming to find out what it's all about. If you're doing it in the maximum security unit, they're going to sign up for everything because that's how they get out of the cell. Mm. Um, And then by like the third week, you might be down to 12 guys Mm. in your class. Um, But 
they come and they check it out. And that's, that's a great opportunity. There is very little choice in prison about, you know, what you get to do and when you get to do it. They're told when to get up and when to go to dinner and when to go to shower. So um, for them to have a, a choice as to whether or not they come to this program. And I think that's really important as opposed to it being an assigned program mm-hmm. that they choose to come out and find out what it's all about. And all the programs, they're required to be um, at a specific level of behavior. So they have to be um, a level three, which is the highest level of um, privilege that you can accrue inside of prison. Sometimes we'll the staff will place somebody in there who's just kind of on the border, but they know that the opportunity will bring out the best in the person. This guy really needs to have this opportunity. So he'll come to class. And um, the behavior thing that you that you see there, um, there's a report out of the United Kingdom that says that there's a 5% reduction in violence in prisons that have arts programming. Wow. And what I pay attention to um, in our prisons here in Kansas is... Uh, disciplinary reports. If you get a disciplinary report, a write-up, then you can't participate in program. You're out. You're you're taken you're taken out, and you're restricted. And to see somebody who might be getting in trouble a little more frequently than they should go to a period of not having any disciplinary reports. You know, we're we're not the causal reason that people change while they are in prison, but we are a part of it. And so, if our program matters so much to you. That, you know, you stop picking fights during the eight weeks, 12 weeks that you're coming so that you don't get kicked out. That's that's a pretty significant indicator of how well we're doing. You know, it's interesting as I'm listening to you talk about all this. I, I, I remember that day that I went after we were done performing. I spoke to a, a young man who was probably I think he said he was in his late 20s. And he said he made a very bad choice when he was 19. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, you know, this was so moving and so meaningful today. And I've been coming to a lot of performances uh, put on here and, and trying to participate in a lot of the arts events. And if I had had something like this when I was a teenager, mm. I would have never gotten involved in the style of life I became involved with. That yep. I didn't have anything like music or the arts to give you know, purpose and meaning to my life and, and help me you know, relieve stress and everything else. So obviously this is such an incredible program in prison. What do you think we could be doing in communities in general to make sure that everyone has arts experiences so that there's a a, a good chance that many of them never even get to a point in their life where they would do something to uh, land themselves in, in prison? I know so many people that are doing programs out in the community to bring arts to to kids, um, and particularly those populations that that need to have some attention. Um, Things from doing yoga out there, mindfulness, meditation, um, uh, the the slam poetry concerts that, Mm. you know, slam poetry issues that are uh, programs that are out there. It's a terrific opportunity that... um, the writing, being able to put down into words or to write to yourself about how you're feeling and what you're going through. Um, guys that have been out now for a while and are still have those moments and that you see them start making iffier decisions. And that's the first question I always ask them. Are you writing? Um, you, you need to be writing. You need to be processing what's what's happening to you. But anything that gives them that chance to um, 
participate like like the other young man said i didn't do any of this when i was out there um he's a real interestingly enough it wasn't until he came to prison he he can remember being in high school and being really interested in learning but he was belittled by his community for you know trying to strive academically and you know he had to come to prison to find a supportive community um, to nurture his desire to be educated and to learn more and to participate in different things. Um, so I, I don't know that I have the answer for what should be done um, in community, but I do know that when men and women in prison are participating in things like this, they're sharing it with their families. We had um, one guy in the East Hill Singers. Now at the East Hill Singers concerts, the inmates um, present a a narration prior to the songs that are sung in concert. And one of the guys who was in the choir at the time, his son was having to take a public speaking class at school. And this particular inmate was not anybody that ever wanted any attention drawn to him. But he decided he would do this along with his son. So because his son had to take public speaking and his son had to get up in front of an audience and speak, he did a narration that that concert season. And he had to write it and he had to practice it and he had to get up and make it um, in front of an audience. And so that was a unique experience that an incarcerated parent had with their child that they wouldn't otherwise have um, been able to share. So it's, I don't know what more we can do in the community, but it's pretty powerful when the men and women who are incarcerated take what they're learning and share it with their children, with their family members, with their parents, sisters, and brothers. I would actually echo that. I mean, it's amazing even in the, oh, maybe I've been to Lansing, I don't know, half a dozen times, six, eight times in the last uh, four or five years that we've been doing this. The number of times uh, inmates have come up to me and talked about their children and talked about sharing music with their children or, you know, their kid plays the clarinet, you know, what, what kind of music, you know, should I tell them to listen to, or, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. I had an inmate ask me, uh, once, um, you know, cause he was going to get out soon and he played an instrument and, you know, what, what would it take to get into UMKC and study it, you know, full time. And, uh, it, it, that level of engagement, uh, around music, um, with the inmates was, was truly incredible. But, uh, you know, uh, Lee, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about just the experience of going into prison, uh, you know, as a, as a free person, because, uh, you know, for me, I discovered once uh, I started going there, um, that everyone else, you know, who hadn't been had nothing but stupid questions to ask about (laughs) what the experience was like. And I don't mean stupid in a, in a, a a malicious way, stupid in a, you know, just uninformed, uh, you know, they hadn't experienced it. You know, you get, you know, oh, is everyone wearing orange, uh, you know, but and all all sorts of other, um, you know, questions based on our, our perception of what the inside of prison is like, either from, you know, pop culture, from film, television, movies, you know, even the news. Um, we have a very limited idea of what the environment is actually like. And I imagine it, it varies quite a bit from prison to prison, certainly. I mean, I, I've been to Lansing now, and I've several times, and I've been to Leavenworth once, uh, and and even that was different. But tell us more about the actual experience, because the thing that I found um, so interesting from the very first time I was there, and you kind of began to say this, 
was that it was um, unexpectedly disarming for me in a way, because I I actually felt you know safe there. Uh, you know, their guards all around. We're in a prison. You know, we're very supervised. Everything is you know very controlled. And I understand, of course, that things happen there that are not safe. Uh, but but to the extent you know we were there, we were very safe, very comfortable, and able to interact in a very normal and very human way uh, with everyone that we encountered. And I don't know why I found that so surprising, but I did. Well, the experience of going into prison is not what everybody's used to watching on TV. Um, you know, it may, it, it's, um, it is a very controlled environment. It is a very safe environment. We have a volunteer who had been trying to organize some other community groups to come in. And everybody would say, yes, they'd love to come out and help. They'd love to do this. And then when the time came to go, they didn't show up. They, they would start backing out, you know, three days before the day of, oh, something came up, I can't go. And he would say, you know, I know this gray-haired lady that goes in and out of there five times a week, and you can't <laughs> even step up and cross the line. <laughs> I, I learned a lot about first world problems by mm. spending a lot of time in prison, you know, when I was angry and frustrated because I couldn't get my iPhone to do what I wanted it to do. You know, in this envi- in that environment, you know, they don't have iPhones. They don't have the opportunity to make a phone call whenever they want. Um, they do have MP- MP3 players now, though, so they can carry their music around and they could relate to my struggle. But um, <laughs> it's, it's a very different world. I used to drive by the prison um, in my home state of New Hampshire when I was going to and from work back in the early 90s. And I'd never even think twice about it. But when I had the opportunity to start going in on a regular basis, you begin to realize, okay, these are people that are literally locked away and forgotten about. So they are so excited and so grateful that anybody would come in and spend time with them. Um, You could be anywhere right now. You could be at home with your family. How many times I hear this? You could be at home with your family, but you're here. And that's just amazing. Um, I like to watch them. When, when you guys come in and play, I, I love to just walk around the room and watch them watching and listening. And I'm, I'm frequently amazed by who shows up. They're not people I would ever expect to do that. But um, just to, to watch what happens in that room when you start to play and to watch the people. Some of them have their eyes closed and they're just, they're relaxed and some are sitting forward and they're gobbling it all up. And there's nothing like it to have that opportunity to watch these people who are, um, granted, they do live their lives in a heightened way because you never do know what's going to happen to you inside of a prison. Um, but what you do when you come in and you play music for them just completely tra- changes them for that period of time. So to get to watch that um, when, when I come in and, and I greet people and I talk to them as I pass them on the, on the yard, on the walk to wherever it is I'm going, and I've never felt um, unsafe there. And it's, it's just, it's a very, very unique experience. That's, that's all I can say. It's not scary like it is on TV. The Sally Port door does clank very loudly. The process <laughs> of getting in is not simple. Um, but 
when you're there, you know you're making a difference and you know you're having an impact and they are so grateful and they are so respectful. Um, you know, the, the man that you talked to, Jason, who, who made a mistake um, at a young age, inmates, incarcerated people get labeled and stuck in how they define themselves in the worst moment of their life. But when you're in there and you're coming in and you're doing a program and you're bringing in, in a, um, music or you're going in to teach a class, they're just so – it's an opportunity that asks for the best from them, and they show up with that. So you've talked about an incredible variety of programs that you're offering through Arts in Prison – what have been what are what are like the top three like most popular um, programs with your with your inmates? Well, clearly the number one most popular program is the East Hill Singers, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of hard sometimes to get people to join. But that's because four to six times a year they get to come outside the walls and participate and give a concert. And um, when we give that concert, we usually do it inside of a church, and the community, the church community, feeds them after the concert. So they get real food. So everybody wants to be in the East Hill Singers so they can get real food. <laughs> I've, I've actually had people write that on evaluations. Um, I like the feeling of community and I like the food. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the number one one to join because, um, because you get to eat real food. But that program, is those are minimum security inmates. So you really have to work hard at getting your security level down um, to get in there and be able to participate. After that, um, the writing programs, I think, um, because that is a skill that they can take with them. A lot of men inside, men and women inside are already writing, whether it's poetry or journaling or writing stories um, as a way of processing what's happened to them throughout their lives. I mean, it's obviously a complicated road that gets most people to prison. So they, they like that class. They like being able to work with people who either are published authors or write regularly anytime. They're so eager to learn. They're just so eager to learn something new. Um, and the other one that they love are the performing, uh, the performing programs, the drama programs, whether it's Living Shakespeare or the playwriting and acting. They don't want necessarily to be in the program, but they love to watch their fellow ah. inmates um, <laughs> perform. And um, living Shakespeare means we're putting men in dresses. <laughs> and yeah. um, they, uh, they have uh, learned how to be very appreciative of the man who has enough nerve to put on a dotted Swiss dress and prance out on stage. So... Um, <laughs> We have one inmate who pretty much made his career playing women um, inside. He's uh, released it out now and doing very well for himself with a lovely family. But, um, but yeah, I don't know how it happened to him, but he almost always ended up in a dress on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since you're talking about the theater program right now, uh, but before we wrap up here today, I, I want to tee up for you uh, the uh, wonderful PBS program that was made about arts in prison, because this really focused on on uh, the theater aspect of arts in prison. And honestly, it was just one of the most um, moving pieces of television uh, that I've seen. So tell everyone just a little bit about that briefly before, uh, before we have to let you go here today. That was a, a wonderful gift that KCPT gave us. Um, 
Mallory Lindhorst, who was the instructor for that program, um, was completing her graduate degree while she was working, um, teaching the classes out at the prison. And one of her assignments was to um, try to engage with the press in the community. And so back in February of 2019, she sent a letter to them talking about the program that she was teaching and the impact that um, theater has as a rehabilitative tool and she was wondering, you know, if they would be interested in doing something. And fast forward to August of that year, they, um, when the Ken Burns special on College Behind Bars came on to PBS, they wanted to do something that might fit in adjacent to that. And they were going through this, just somehow the email landed on the right person's desk and they came up to the prison and, um, it was a complicated process, as, as it can be. Um, you know, nobody gets to be on TV or come outside of the prison or appear in a newspaper story without being cleared by victim services, which um, it, it, it just makes sense. I mean, it can be a really long um, and entailed program to get through that, but it makes sense. Nobody, nobody, including arts in prison, wants anybody to have something strike um, a chord or a nerve. Um, because all of a sudden somebody that offended against them is getting to do something or showing up on their television set. But we managed to make it work, and they came in and they recorded the rehearsals, um, the way Mallory works with the inmates, giving them feedback, the inmates being creative in their own ideas about what they wanted to do and how they thought it went. And... um, interviewed several of the inmates and then um, while they weren't able to record the performance they were able to um, get some photographs from the performance and it was a really powerful piece that shows you that it's all not all orange is the new black you know that these men um, are supportive of each other and they um, create together and they had they formed a real honest to God theater troupe inside of the prison um, with other inmates where things don't matter. I mean, you can imagine how, how people get classified and put into boxes inside of a prison, which gang are you a part of? Which town did you come from? What's your racial, you know, what race you are, um, how you identify yourself as a person, all of those things. And, um, in our programs and it was shown on PBS through the bleed through is the name of the piece on KCPT and you can still find it um, on their YouTube page. Um, They cross all of, none of that matters. None of that matters anymore when they're together creating and getting ready to be on stage. But it was a beautiful piece and a wonderful gift that they gave us to, to show, um, not only the difference it makes to have art inside there, but the therapeutic process, how it prepares, it, it, it can really prepare a person for coming back out into community. Um, I, I had a guy that used to tell us, you know, people are really afraid that I'm going to get out of prison and live next door to them. He said, and what they don't know is I'm afraid too. Mm-hmm. It's a really scary proposition. Um, so hopefully through things like the KCPT production, um, coming to see an East Hill Singers concert in person or coming out and seeing a theatrical performance at the prison um, helps people reconcile a little bit with that stigma and um, think about what it is that they can do 
to make it easier for somebody to come back to their community. Well, thank you, Lee. That's a really, really powerful statement. And uh, as I say, I recommend everyone uh, check out that special. It's just incredible. So um, this has been a wonderful conversation, and we could talk to you for another two hours uh, about your work. But um, uh, we are required by law, and I know <laughs> the law is important to you because of, of what you do. Um, we are required by law to ask every guest on our show uh, two questions before we let them leave. And, and they are as follows, so pay close attention. Number one, what is your favorite beverage, either alcoholic, non-alcoholic? When you're relaxing in a bar, in a cafe, in your living room, what what do you go for? What, what is this strange thing called relaxing you talk about? But <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing we used to do sometimes. <laughs> you can never go wrong with a good gin and tonic. Ooh. Ooh well done. Uh, Classic. Yes. Classic. Yes. I like it. I like it very much. And and secondly, and this is also very important, um, if you were, you know, say in a bar sipping a gin and tonic in some of this uh, free time that I'm referring to, what <laughs> what might you ask Beethoven if you were sitting there with him? Hmm. What would I ask? Be- well, it's um, my my fourth grader um, asked me this morning to change the music I had on to Beethoven. Oh. And he was looking for a very specific piece, um, which I never found. I Maybe think you'd I ask would... him what that piece was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, I think I would like to know about Beethoven's temperament. I would like to know, um, you know, how long his temper was. Uh, how would short you test his, his temper, was. or would you just ask him that question? I would ask him that question. Okay. Jason would test his temper. I can see that. I would test his temper. Yeah, I would say, <laughs> I've heard you're a pretty mean dude sometimes, Beethoven. Let's see. Let's just check this out. Now, it's, it's interesting you say that because we, uh, we often think of Beethoven as having a, a bad temper. And I'm sure he did at times. But, you know, almost every portrait of him, he's angry and, you know, his music is intense. And, but he was also a very um, lovely guy sometimes and very loving. So... You know, it's a shame that we have. We need a portrait of Beethoven smiling. Well, you know, you know that there. I I won't say it, but there's. Um, we we did a marketing like a little mini marketing campaign a handful of years ago where um, we had the like the cutout of Beethoven's face or the cutout of Beethoven. We had hipster Beethoven. Yes. And Beethoven, uh, he had resting Beethoven face. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. I just want to mention before we're done that um, the, it was probably the first time, no, not the first time, second or third time you guys all came in and Aaron came with you. Mm-hmm. And um, on our YouTube page or our Facebook page as well, um, there is a video of a 150 medium security inmates singing Ode to Joy accompanied by the members of the Kansas City Symphony that came out. So if anybody wants to check that out, see what kind of an impact, what you all brought to us and what they gave back to you. We will definitely put a link to that in our show notes, along with uh, the recommended listening here that we're going to talk talk <laughs> through in just a minute. We will definitely include that. And I have to tell you, Lee, I haven't actually gone out on any of these um, visits to prison. I have not been to prison yet. Um, I say well, yes. Come. I know, but but that Ode to Joy perform, um, event and performance that you guys did, I had the smallest role in, and I remember that was several years ago. And Mike mm-hmm. 
and I were talking about, you know, what they were going to do in prison. And, and I was able to get the rights from Carnegie Hall, actually, because it was their text and their, their from their link up program that we actually do for um, third, fourth and fifth graders. Um, and I think that was what you guys ended up using. Isn't that right, Mike? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, because it's one of my favorite things yeah. that we've done. We knew that uh, the inmates uh, would sing with us, but we weren't too confident about them uh, sight reading in German. So <laughs> we needed a good English translation. No, I, I mean, and I've seen the video and it worked so perfectly and it's so moving. And, and, and that's definitely something that we will include um, here. But speaking of things that we want our audience to be listening to, how about some recommended listening for this week, guys? Who has something they would like to recommend uh, our audience listen to? Oh, well, uh, speaking of that Beethoven concert, uh, one of the uh, pieces we performed uh, was this uh, wonderful selection from Beethoven's one and only opera, Fidelio. And uh, it's a, a piece known as Floristan's Aria. And at this moment in the opera, Floristan is in prison. And he's uh, singing about his uh, love that he misses, uh, uh, Leonor. And so we didn't actually sing this uh, at the prison. We played an instrumental uh, version of it. But it's a beautiful, beautiful aria and um, very relevant uh, to what we're talking about here today. So we'll put a, a YouTube link for you up in the show notes so you can check that out. But that's Floristan's aria from Beethoven's opera Fidelio. You know, I actually also chose um, a, a choral, chorus and orchestral work to recommend as well. And this is something, do you guys ever just have music pop up and it sticks with you and you don't really understand why it's in your life or like wh why you're hearing it now? But I'll give you an example. I keep, um, when I get in my car, if I don't have the radio turned on or some or something like s specifically set, it will just automatically play from my iTunes playlist um, and it'll just pick something random. And every day this week or this last week, I've gotten in the car and it has turned on Vaughn Williams toward the unknown region for chorus and orchestra. And it's, it, I've, never really listened to it before, but I've been listening to it in the car and it's just been incredibly moving. And I think something that's definitely worth listening to and really makes you think. And uh, so I recommend you guys listen to it. Well, mine's a little strange because I have not listened to my recommended listening yet because, it, <laughs> because it's not out yet. But uh, this weekend, our good friend, Leslie Odom Jr., who I've had the pleasure of working with a few different programs at the Kansas City Symphony announced that he is uh, releasing a new Christmas album. I saw that. And it that. does have two tracks on it, two tracks that we did with him in one of our recent performances, and now they have been recorded. Not with us. I wish they were with us. Um, but look, I haven't heard it, but I know it's going to be amazing because Leslie Odom Jr. is amazing. And his first Christmas album, which was called Simply Christmas, was incredible. And his latest album, Mr., was incredible. So I just know it's going to be good. I don't even have to listen to it. Definitely order that. <laughs> It'll make a good stocking stuffer, and you get to hear our good friend Leslie. Lee, do you have anything you'd like for our audiences to listen to this week? Well, it's kind of crazy that Michael brought up Fidelio because the East Hill Singers, which is our minimum security prison choir, um, was tapped by Heartbeat Opera to be one of the four prison choirs from around the country that performed the Prisoner's Chorus Oh. Um, in Fidelio when they brought it back, um, when they mounted it, and I think it was May of 2018. 
2018, maybe 2018 or 2019, which is also um, up on our YouTube page. But it was a very, very moving production. And um, they came out here and recorded our choir singing the Prisoner's Chorus from Fidelio. Very cool. cool. We'll make sure that those links are all included in the show notes and all of these uh the recommended listening will be included as well. That's all great. And Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation, learning all about uh, arts in prison. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Lee. It's a true pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you to all of you for what you do to support our mission and help us bring these opportunities to the men and women who are locked up and behind the wall. Thanks, Lee. Have you ever wondered what really goes on backstage at the Kansas City Symphony? Well, the man who can tell us more about that than anyone will be joining us next week, our incredible stage manager, Dave Tebow. We're going to hear all about the details that go on behind the scenes to ensure a smooth performance. Well, I'm sure we'll hear some great backstage stories, and we're going to be talking to Dave all about our mobile music box series, which we have been presenting all over the KC metro area. That and more next week on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 